Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here on the recording. And thank you guys for we're here live with us to our podcast AMA expert Q&A, our expert AMA. We are joined by our expert today is, is Mr. Adam McNeil. And I should have his bio in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, Adam, did you have a promotion recently? Did that, did things get shaken up a little bit? I know you're like the VP of marketing now, and I don't know that was always what you were, but Adam is someone who has been, I'm gonna have him introduce himself in a little bit, but Adam is someone who has been working really closely connecting brands to, brands and businesses to shows. And what I really love about Adam's both experience and his kind of his mindset and his outlook is he's someone who's did it himself and he did it without being like a Joe Rogan-esque like show and was able to monetize and make some pretty significant money from a show like that. And then he's also now working with brands and helping them to connect with shows that are not always the biggest. And I think that's also what I really love about Adam's approach is that he sees the value in independent podcasters and small. So anyways, all that to say that all of you guys have a shot because with Adam's advice and wisdom, all of you guys can leave today with a game plan or an understanding of how you might be able to get a sponsor or at least start getting sponsors. And it's a really cool conversation. Adam was on my show probably a couple of months ago, and that was a great conversation. I encourage you guys to go back and listen to that. But Adam, fill in the gaps a little bit with, with what I missed there. Sure. I'll give the brief snapshot story of how I accidentally stepped into the podcasting world a few years ago and ended up turning that into a bit of a business and led me to initiating doing podcast ad buying at the brand that I was working for, which then ultimately accidentally led me to my job that I have today, which is the VP of marketing over at Adopter Media. We're a podcast ad agency. We represent about two dozen brands in the podcast space. You probably have heard a few of our ads that we put out there for Magic Spoon Cereal or Blue Chew, Lomi, Fume, you name it. We represent about... $20 $20 million a year in podcast ad spend for a brand. So to take you back in time briefly. Well, where, well, well, oh, yeah, before we do ahead. that though, I, I want to tee that up a little bit. Matt, before we get into too much of the Q&A, do you want to give a quick little housekeeping about names and anything else you think would be important? Oh, sure. I was just saying in the chat, if everyone can update their or rename themselves to include their show name, that way we just have some kind of reference point and maybe can follow each other and see what's going on in your world. So if you have the ability, I know some people are driving, so please don't do that while you're driving and just change that. And I'll be monitoring the chat as you guys have your conversation here. Yeah, feel free to interject. And I guess I should... I just jumped right in. I was so excited to get the conversation that I mentioned that we do these things for do these events for three reasons. The first is we hope that you learn something. Um, and I know that you're going to learn a lot. And that's what today is mostly focused on. We have a Q&A once a month, and then we have a virtual mixer once a month. And the second goal of today and all of our events is that you meet someone new and you meet someone awesome. And Adam and I connected on LinkedIn. And hopefully I would encourage you guys to go follow him there or wherever you guys hang out on socials. But that's the second objective of today is that you meet someone great or you meet someone awesome that can help you along your podcasting journey. And then the third goal that we have is, if nothing else, that you at least leave today feeling better and feeling a little more connected to the podcast community or a little more connected and less alone, uh, if you will. And with that being said, Adam, I love your story. You have a great story. So why don't you just jump right back into this and tell us kind of the origins of this whole podcast sponsorship thing? Sure. Prior to getting into the whole podcast world, I was a podcast listener, but the main thing that was really consuming my life at the time in 2020 was this Japanese wooden ball and cup game called Kendama. It looks like this. I traveled around North America. I'd go and compete at events and I just loved the people in the community involved in this. And when 2020 hit and everything started to shut down due to COVID, everyone just reverted going back to their bedrooms and playing from home. There was no more events or anything like that. And I wanted to reinstate a bit of a community, even in the digital age. And so I started hosting these Instagram lives on my Instagram. I had maybe 800 followers on Instagram. It wasn't much. And I did these lives where I'd brew a cup of coffee and I'd talk about my brewing method because I really like coffee. And then I eventually started interviewing people on these weekend lives. I do them every Saturday. And they would go for about an hour and I just have someone on and people just kept responding to it and showing up. And I'd have two people the first time, then maybe four people the next. They're like, hey, you should get this guest on and ask them to come on and talk to them about this. And it was so reactive for me. I didn't even realize what I had started. I just kept doing it because people asked me to do it. So eight weeks into that, someone messaged me and said, hey, I love tuning into your lives, but I can't always do them on Saturdays. I work, but I drive. I'd love to tune in and listen to them. Do you think you could put the audio on a podcast platform? I didn't even know how to do that. I didn't know that I really started a podcast. And so eight weeks in, I had been recording on Instagram Live using bad Apple headphones. 
in, in like my kitchen with the worst audio ever. And it turned into a bit of a podcast where I do these interviews, brew a cup of coffee, talk to this person, and we'd chat for about an hour. And I grew that from pretty much zero to a thousand listens per week in about I don't know, about a year's time is what we were doing is about a thousand a week. You know, it's a live oriented show where I would get live feedback from the listeners. I could see that if the content was engaging and rich and people were loving it, I'd have more people joining the live. And if all of a sudden they were like, this is boring, I could slowly see that number drop. And it was depressing sometimes, but it was a really good feedback loop for me to know this is what I should be talking about because people enjoy this. And this isn't what people want to hear about because they would start leaving. So for me, it was a really quick way to learn and grow and get efficient at what worked and what didn't work. And so that was a good growth hack for me was doing live, but I don't think that's fit for most shows. I think that just happened to be the formula that worked for me. And I could tell you a ton of stories of how brutal it was as Instagram changed its policies and changed its code. Getting the audio off of Instagram became a nightmare. So I had to move to Zoom and then I had to record on there. And I started recording on a Blue Yeti. Like I I was the worst podcaster out of any podcaster I've ever met who sets up with a Shure SM7B or they know everything about it. They know the technology. I was uploading to Anchor. I didn't know anything. I was just going with the flow, trying to figure it out. But what had happened was I started to build a rich community. And through that, I got my first sponsorship. And I can talk about that in a sec. But Hector, if I don't know if you wanted to poke and prod at that at all. Only to say that I too have had my Blue Yeti. And I keep the stand around just as like a, one of the token of that and a reminder of how bad... And it's okay. Don't worry. If that's you, don't worry. We're not picking on you. The second thing is that you... I know that a lot of podcasters, they fall into success almost, right? Or they they just, they get started with something and all of a sudden it starts to catch fire. That seems to have been what happened here. Take us into that transition of why and how you started to, to monetize this and how that came about. Yeah, it came really naturally and organically. And it came pretty much out of the out of a demand from my audience where they were asking for recommendations of coffee. So I'd started to build this influence over what people would drink for coffee. It was a a commonplace thing at the beginning of all my episodes where I'd introduce it. It was a live chat, right? So I would engage with the audience and say, what are you guys drinking this morning as you tune into the review? And people would feedback. And there was a whole rivalry between people who liked tea and people who liked coffee. And it was fun and playful and all these things. But through that, I would get all these messages from people after the show or whatnot and ask, oh, what kind of beans should I get? What kind of grinder should I get? What kind of XYZ coffee related things should I get? And I realized that oh, they saw me as an expert on that field. And I had my favorites and I would start recommending and I would see that my recommendations would drive them to action where I'd see an, another message a week later saying, I just ordered a bag of those beans that you told me about, or I just bought a Chemex or I bought an AeroPress or whatever they bought. And so I realized I had influence. And that was the first key is I needed to know that I had influence to be able to drive people to make action. So I was able to prove that out that way. I also proved that out over recommendations over Kendama. During the conversations, I would definitely say, oh, this is one of my favorite shapes right now. This is one of the Kendamas I'm really enjoying playing. And then I would see a response to that where people would go and buy it and tell me that they bought it. So that was a good indicator. So then what I had done was... Adam, I'm going to jump yeah, in because you, you, you said something brilliant. I want to make sure everybody caught it because you made it seem like such a like a simple thing but that was the sense that you were testing what worked and you thought your show was actually like i didn't even it was in hindsight i wasn't doing it as a test it just came that way it showed up that way what's interesting and i'm glad you brought that up because it might have made sense that you have a show about, I don't know how to say it correctly. What, what Kendama, I'm, yeah. It's a, a it's Kendama. A it might make sense where the show's about Kendama. You're talking about that. Let's sell those. And that's what you did. But you realized that there was this other thing that, that talk, I cut you off there, but talk about that decision to not sell Kendamas and then to actually focus on the coffee. That actually was a really conscientious decision. So I, I had lots of opportunities to take sponsors from different Kendama brands, but since I was interviewing Kendama players all the time and having different brand leaders from all these different Kendama companies coming on, I didn't want to ever give my allegiance to just one brand by taking a sponsorship from them. So I didn't want to bias my content because my audience wouldn't have loved that so much. So instead, I wanted to pull something from outside of that community and bring it in, which is where coffee came in, where that wasn't biased. It didn't really matter. That was just my love of coffee flowing into the Kendama community. And I wanted to bridge those two worlds for them. So that's where the first sponsor came from was Onyx Coffee Lab. And I'm I'm wearing one of their shirts on my chair back there. I have a blanket that's wrapped. I don't know how to point with my hands here, but that blanket on my seat back there is an Onyx thing. I have 
gosh, who knows? I'm drinking Onyx coffee right now. I'm not even sponsored by them anymore. I just loved them so much. And they happened to be the brand that I would recommend every time that people would ask me, what coffee should I get? I just really liked their coffee. So I'd start recommending them. And I was like, man, I would love to be able to offer my audience a discount or give them an encouragement to go and check out Onyx when they ask me, what should I get them or what should they get? I ended up just shooting an email to Onyx Coffee Lab. They're based in Rogers, Arkansas. I'm in Canada. Like I was paying customs to get their coffee. That's how much I love them. And so I hit them up and I said, Hey, I have this podcast. I talk about coffee every single episode. I've been recommending Onyx Coffee Lab for a really long time. Is there any way that we could get a promo code to give to my audience so that they can be encouraged to save a little bit of money, get some really high quality beans? They knew what I was all about. I showed them blogs that I'd written about my brewing methods. Like they knew that I was a part of their culture. They knew that I got what they were about as a brand. And they said, yeah, we're just kickstarting an affiliate program. We'd love to have you hop in on it. And I was like, okay, this sounds great. I had never had a sponsor on the show before, but I knew that I could sell product. So I took the affiliate deal. It was basically for every bag of coffee or every order that was made, I'd get, I think it was like 10% of that order. I think it was what the deal was. I don't remember. And for me, I was like, I don't really care. I wasn't really doing it for the money. It was just something that I wanted to encourage. So I ran it for a month. I did four ads one month. And I was doing, again, about 1,000 downloads per episode, four ads. And I ended up generating for Onyx Coffee Lab about $5,000 that month worth of coffee sales through my podcast. I had, over the course of three to four months, well over 150 orders go through from my audience. So about 10% of my audience, whether or not you consider reoccurring orders, etc., ended up generating a lot. And so for me, that was a kickback of about $500 to $600 of coffee in that first month. And I realized, wow... 500 bucks when I was working at a startup making basically minimum wage, that was a nice little boost to my income. And then alongside that, I started some other monetization initiatives. But really, that was the first step is I needed to prove out that I could sell another product. So the affiliate deal for me was a really good opportunity. It was no risk to the brand. The brand didn't have to pay me a flat sum. I could prove my performance out. And for me, at a CPM level, that ended up equating to basically a $100 CPM because I was selling about, I guess, depending on how you do the math, I made about $500 in a month. I did four episodes in a month. So I was essentially getting paid about a hundred and some dollars per episode. And I was doing about a thousand downloads per episode equated out to being paid a hundred dollars CPM on my show. And so it was a really good deal that way. This is so gold. And I thought that one of the reasons I was excited to have Adam on the on today was just because his story, I think, hopefully there's light bulbs going off for you guys. In about 10, about 15 minutes, about the halfway mark, I want to open it up to you guys and open it up to Q&A. But before I do that, I'd like to tailor this last little section of the fireside chat with Adam and I to figure out and focus on where you guys are at. I'd love for you guys, if you can, and you're not driving, to open up the chat. And if you could just tell us if you're, if you've never had a sponsor or, or you're working on your first sponsor, you already have just have a sponsor. You, got a variety of like, where are you at? I would love to just get a barometer so that we can really focus in because I had mentioned Adam's story is really, I think it's great because no matter how big of an audience you are, I mean, his story kind of highlights that you can have success and whether it's selling coffee or there are other things that you can affiliate a lot of different, different avenues here. So let's fast forward here now a little bit, Adam, and let's talk about what you're doing now is it's adopter, right? That's the name of it adopter. Talk to us now. So over the course of the years now, what are some of the big things that shows are looking for? Or just speak to that perspective of what, if I'm a, if I'm a show and I'm a podcaster, an indie podcaster, and I want to have a shot at working with someone like you or, or however starting to monetize it, what are some of the big things? What's the foundation? What are the must-haves, the gotta do's for a show like that? Yeah, really good question. So I can speak from how I look at things and it has changed over time, especially as I've scaled and as our business has scaled and the types of clients that we work with. Most of our clients are all kind of spending well into the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year on podcast advertising. Their agenda of what they're looking for tends to look different from, say, an Onyx Coffee Lab or a smaller company that's still in its ground up state. Now, and I think that coincides as well with the size of your podcast and where you're at as a podcast. A lot of my brands would never have taken or batted an eye at my podcast where it was. And as an ad buyer for those brands, I probably would not have bought ads on my podcast. Probably too small, too much time input, etc. But 
that doesn't mean that your podcast is not fit for some brands and not fit for a lot of brands. There are a lot of other brands that are not your Manscapes, your Magic Spoons, your Fies, these brands that are spending tens of millions of dollars a year on podcasts that will be good fits. So what I would do, A, first off, as from my end, what I look for when I'm buying is a couple of things. There's probably three main points that I tend to focus on the most when I'm looking at a new podcast sponsor in general. One would be, I want to see what kind of history you have. I want to I want to know your resume working with brands. That is a big deal to me as an ad buyer. I want to know, have you had a good relationship with brands? Have you lasted with brands? That's a scorecard in my mind of, is this person successful for a brand or multiple brands? One of the tools that we use over at Adopter Media is Podscribe. I don't know if you've heard about Podscribe or anything like that, but it's got a ton of different features. But one of the features that it has is it transcribes your podcast and tells us if you have ads in your show. Typically, they're monitoring the shows that are in the top 5,000 shows, give or take. But it helps me to see that maybe you've had a sponsor like Onyx Coffee Lab or whatever brand that you've had on your podcast for seven months in a row. To me, most brands aren't stupid. Some of them maybe are, but most brands are not going to keep buying on your podcast or keep doing sponsorships on your show if it's not producing a positive return on investment for them. So I look at that and I say, oh, you know what? If Onyx Coffee Lab was sponsoring my podcast, The Review, for six months in a row, maybe that's a good indicator that that show is doing a good job for that brand. So do I have any brands that I'm working with currently that are like that brand that could be a good fit for that show? That's number one. Number two is how easy you make it for us as an ad buyer to sponsor your show. One of the biggest things that I've tried to encourage podcasters over the last year or two, especially when trying to work with bigger brands, is simplify the process. More often than not, when I'm chatting with smaller podcasters, they try to incorporate too many things into it. They try to do their podcast and add in a social integration to make these massive big packages about everything. Big brands don't work like that. Most big brands have different departments for different social platforms. So for example, we as a podcast advertising agency, we don't really care about your Instagram or about your TikTok or about those things. And not because I don't care about them, but because I don't have the right to buy those things as their agency. That's a different department or a different agency at that company that will do those buys. So if you try to bulk those things together for a brand or an agency like us, it actually complicates the process and it makes it harder for us to get through those first steps of actually making a buy on your show. Instead, just simplify it. Here's the podcast. Here's how many downloads we're getting. Here's the different formats of ads you can buy. Dynamic, episodic, however you want to do it. Great. Simplify that process to just podcasting. And if you want to add value, the way that we as an agency look at it is incorporate an Instagram post as an added value and then just up the rate of your podcast. Say your podcast, instead of it being $250, is $300, but you're going to throw in a free Instagram story. That's the easiest way to get through to a podcast department or a podcast agency is don't add costs to things that are not podcasts. Just raise the cost of the podcast and then incorporate those other things as free value. That's the easiest way to trick us into buying it, if that makes sense from a department standpoint. Otherwise, we have to send it over to their team on their Instagram side or to their TikTok team or to their whatever other team. So simplify the process. And then lastly, just be clear and be transparent about numbers. We want to work with people that are flexible and transparent about everything. And I say that about me personally. I don't know if everybody on the ad buying side of the industry is that way. But if I'm working with you, I want you to know that I'm in this with you. And I want to figure this out. So I like to get on calls with our podcasters or the networks that we work with and say, hey, let's take a look at performance. Let's take a look at how much revenue you drove for this brand. Let's see if this is still working for us anymore. Let's talk about download numbers. Let's talk about ad reads. Let's get into the weeds. So one of the things that I tend to do, especially in the early steps of working with the podcasters, I have a litmus test of conversation to see, is this person going to be easy to work with or not easy to work with? And if you're not easy to work with and you're not showing signs of flexibility or a desire to make it work for the brand or a desire to prove out a long lasting partnership. It's a red flag to me. It's a red flag that this is just about money for you. And as an ad buyer, yes, there is money involved, but that's just an outcome. We want to create genuine, authentic partnerships between our brands and the podcasters that we work with. So those are the three things. Be clear, simplify the process. And then what was the first one I said? I blitzed through it. I Someone probably remembers, but the first one was... History oh, of working with other brands. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Erica. Yeah. Develop a scorecard. And one of the best ways that you could do that if you're a smaller podcast is do an affiliate deal. That's a great way to show up on a scorecard with a no risk plan for a brand. So for myself, like I did with Onyx, I have a scorecard of X number of months working with this brand. To me as an ad buyer, I just see that 
to you, you did it and it was an affiliate deal. It doesn't really show up otherwise, but it shows that you had a consistent brand on your show. And that's a good sign to me. So what I'm hearing and pushback, if I'm misunderstanding this, if I'm a podcaster, the route or a path, if you will, is to start with an affiliate deal, which is you can sign up on and give away free books on Audible. That's my favorite affiliate deal is because you give them free books. And I think you still get like a few bucks for every free book someone gets, which is a, it's a really cool. So you can get practice that way, but you can prove it out. And then what you're saying is that to leverage that into maybe a smaller brand or something a little bit smaller and stair, staircase your way up to bigger brands, because that resume is going, that proof is going to help you in that later. Exactly. Exactly. Say you want to get a job at Amazon or Google or whatever these big mega companies are, prove out your success story at a smaller company and work your way up to those. If you try to approach them too quickly and too early and you get those buys, you may not be ready for those brands. Those brands are not ready for your show. And typically those brands are looking for shows that have high volume. Prove your prove where you're at with them and get practice. Pitching products on podcasts is not that easy. I work with a lot of podcasters that do hundreds of thousands of downloads who are absolutely terrible at giving ad reads. And I don't mean that in a negative, like I do mean that negatively and I mean it cheekily, but some of them just suck and they're not good because they haven't had the practice. They haven't had to work for it and they haven't had to see the results of their work. An affiliate deal is a really good way to get responsive feedback because you know that when you did that ad, you can look at your affiliate dashboard and go, oh, that one did better than the one I did last month. I wonder why, what did I do differently in the ad read that made my sales go up? How did I make this work? Or maybe you did a mention on your Instagram and you use the same code. Oh, that really helped the sales. You can start to monitor your results. Uh, Whereas with a lot of brands, when it's a flat rate deal, sure, that means it's consistent, but the challenge there is you don't get as much feedback. And so it's hard for you to measure yourself and measure your performance. But here's what I would say. I don't think getting an Audible affiliate deal is the best way forward. I think the best way forward is to find a niche brand that fits so perfectly with your show that you can really get behind that you know is going to be a perfect fit. So for me, Onyx Coffee Lab was a 10 out of 10 amazing fit that I worked my ass off to get onto my show because I knew that it was going to work and I knew that I could push it because I had already proven it out by mentioning it to people on the show and then seeing people buy it that it was so organic. I had Manscaped reach out to me afterwards and I was like, I don't think my audience is ready for Manscaped. That seems like the wrong kind of brand partnership to put on my show at the moment. But instead, I ended up reaching out to Aeropress and we ended up doing like a giveaway deal and that went well. And I worked with a different coffee brand and did all sorts of other stuff there. Start with what you know exceptionally well and then slowly bridge into the bigger brands. And the bigger bigger brands will start to notice. Uh, I pay attention to that stuff. Oh, you're muted, Hector. That's thank you, sir. This whole podcasting thing. This is fantastic. And if you guys have questions, I want to encourage you to raise your hand because we'll try and keep some semblance of order. Otherwise, I will just continue to ramble on and fill up the time that that we have here. But I do want to throw it to Matt and see if there's anything that you thought that you had to, to add in here or if we missed anything in the chat that was worth bringing up again. I think it would be interesting to Adam, you were just on the creator debates podcast, not to blast, not to say another podcast here, but and you were talking like CPM versus kind of sponsorship packages and whatnot. Maybe you can just share your thoughts on both sides for me for people that are just beginning you have these affiliate links, you talked about that. But what are your thoughts on other little packages on the other side of that CPM kind of look? Sure. I personally, even though I was on the side of the CPM debate in that, I'm actually not really a fan of CPM. I just think it gets really messy and contractually complicated when you're billing based on how many downloads after 30 days. And then how do you know if they were IAB, blah, blah, blah. It just gets messy. And to be honest, as a buyer, I really don't care about the number of downloads you get. That doesn't really matter to me too much. I care whether or not it worked for the brand or it didn't work for the brand. Was it successful? That's all that really matters. Your download. Can we give some just quick context? Maybe basically what you're saying, the CPM is the advertiser pays based on how many downloads they get. And then yeah. the other side was this package price, which is a flat rate. Right? Flat Those rate. are generally the two options. Yeah, there's the three categories of sponsorship, generally speaking. So one would be an affiliate deal where you get paid for every sale that you generate. A CPM deal would be you'd get a particular amount of dollars for each download that you deliver. So CPM means cost per mile in Latin, that just means cost per thousand. So if you get 2000 downloads and the deal was you'd get $20 for every thousand downloads you get, you would make $40 
on that. And then a flat rate deal would say, we think you're probably going to get on average, say 2000 downloads per episode, but maybe you hit 1500, maybe you hit 2500, but we were going to agree to pay you a hundred dollars anyways, no matter what you get, that would be a flat rate deal. So those are the three deals. As a buyer, I prefer flat rate deals, generally speaking, because flat rate as a buyer, there's sometimes the benefit where if we buy you at 10,000 downloads and you get a really viral episode because you had Hector on your show, now all of a sudden you're at 20,000 downloads because he's the man. Cool. We get that extra value as a brand and that can give a lot of runway to the brand to then sponsor more episodes. And it just is simpler that way. That doesn't mean we never have variable costs when we do flat rates. Whereas the other ones are a little bit harder around budgeting because the brand doesn't know if they're going to have a $10,000 month because you had a viral episode or a $2,000 month because they didn't do any sales. Yeah, I want to open it up. Does anyone want to unmute themselves? I didn't see any hands on the on the thing. That's not really our style anyway. So if anybody wants to just unmute themselves and hop in with some questions. Matt, I don't know if I fully answered your question there. Um, do you want to just re-ask the question now that we have a bit of a definition? Yeah, I, I think the thought is, I think there's a lot of podcasters that come to podcast AMA that are smaller shows and just starting out and trying to figure out what this whole world is. We all can Google as much as we want and it tells us to do this or do this or this and whatever that is. And a lot of people talk about these sponsorship packages versus CPM just because maybe these shows are more niche. They're not getting thousands per episode right away. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on those sides for maybe like a newer or a smaller Mm -hmm. podcast that's a little bit more niche. I think in 99.9% of circumstances, don't do CPM deals. It's just complicated, messy, and it doesn't really benefit anybody overly well. Flat rate deals are usually what's going to be the simplest for both you and the brand. It's consistent. You know that you're going to get paid $100. The brand knows that it's going to pay $100. And it's just simpler that way, nine times out of 10. The affiliate deal would be the only exception where I think for a lot of brands that have already flourishing affiliate programs. That's an easy way in for them. And it's an easy way for a brand that maybe has never sponsored a podcast to give you a shot and say, Hey, here's an affiliate link if you want to record an ad and do that that way. So if you're getting started though, I don't think there's a one size fits all. I don't think there is a right and a wrong way. There was a way that worked for my show. And I knew that it worked for my show because I proved it out that way. But I also was a very like, I wanted to push product. I had a sales mindset. And I knew that I could do better than a flat rate because I was going to share the link. I was going to tell people about Onyx all the time. I wore the, I like, I was the best brand ambassador they could have ever asked for that had like a podcast of a thousand people listening in. And I pushed it as hard as I could. And so that generated a lot more revenue for me than had I just taken a flat deal. But if you want to take the flat deal and do that's okay, and you can still drive great results. I think you have to figure out what works best for you. I liked the flexibility of knowing that I would get more value if I shared a link on my Instagram on a random Tuesday afternoon because people would buy it than waiting for that next paycheck to then do another spot on my podcast. So I think you can get creative. Flat rate is what most brands will prefer just because that's the easiest and the most simple and standard way to do it. But if you really believe in yourself and you really believe in what your show's influence has over its audience and you want to test that, I would recommend trying an affiliate deal, especially if you're a smaller show just getting started. I think we got a hand from the Dead Man Walking podcast. Thanks. Following up on affiliate marketing, do you think there's a law of diminishing returns? Like I've seen some podcasts, they have 75 products listed. Yes. You yeah, know, I, I think so. better to have four or five, if you can get four or five, than to just throw everything and see what sticks on the wall? I really do think so. Share of voice has become a really hot topic within podcast advertising, where I'm looking at some shows that we look at buying ads on, and they have 60 rotating sponsors in and out. And imagine yourself being a listener to that show. You are telling me about 60 different products over the course of maybe three months, four months, and I only have so many dollars that can go out to any one of these brands because of all these recommendations you're giving me. I can't buy all 60 brands products. So the quality of performance for each of those brands will go down as you take on more brands because there's just so many dollars to go around from a consumer. So I do think it's good to limit. Not everyone will tell you that. And I think some people really adding in as many sponsors as they can, rotating in. But if you can find that core subset of 
brands that you work with and you work with closely and you can develop those intimate relationships with and really grow them and have them help grow you, that's where you're going to find the most success. Also, I think you'll have more fun that way too. I can't imagine as a podcaster keeping up relationships with 60 brands or 30 brands. Like that just sounds terrible and exhausting and really unrelational to me. So I would prefer to look at a show and see that you've had six sponsors that have been really consistent than that you have worked with 40 different brands and been mildly inconsistent, if that gives you some idea. Sure. I'm going to try and reframe the question then. I was thinking more about in the show notes, Mm. people have the affiliate links for everything they've ever talked about (laughs) for their last 17 years as a podcaster. Is there also diminishing returns on that because people just won't scroll through it? I don't know if I have a data point to give you on, on, on it, but anecdotally, I would probably say only put stuff in the show notes that you're talking about in the actual episode for the most part. Maybe if you want to have mm-hmm. that little subsection where I think if you're like a podcast about podcasting, it would make sense for you to have, here's my podcast setup and have like your affiliate links for that there. But if you make a mention in your podcast about a brand of coffee that you like, or about, I don't know, whatever thing you mentioned in your show and you have an affiliate link for that, drop that in there. And even if you're talking in your podcast and you're like, okay, so I got to tell you guys about this. This is my favorite mug. It's called Ember. You just fill it up with coffee. It freaking lasts forever. It keeps your coffee at a, at the temperature you want it at. I have an app. I can set it. It's like a sous vide for your coffee, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. And I'll, I'll add a link down in the description if you want to check it out. And mm-hmm. there'll be an affiliate link down there. Drop that. Just make a note of that in your podcast that is down there. People might go click it and you can make a couple bucks off of that every now and then but only do that for products. Here's the thing. I hate the whole Amazon links thing because people will link affiliate stuff for like the loosest mentions ever in their podcast. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they, I don't know. And that people just like drop random Amazon links for stuff and stuff. It, I would highly recommend narrowing and just focus on stuff you're truly advocating for. And you'll probably see more results out of that. I think a lot of people waste their time trying to advertise stuff that they don't really use or know enough about. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to a wonderful Rena. I don't know if Rena was applauding or raising her hand. I was just applauding. Oh, dang. <laughs> I can't see. My eyes are terrible. Do we have any other? It's good to see you, Rena. And thank you for that question. Any other? Any others? I think that this is fantastic, fantastic insights. I would also encourage you to be okay. We've got coming up on the last little bit here, but I would encourage you to be okay sharing, hey, here's where I'm at. What do you think we could do? Because those are always help everybody else who's listening in. But Mike, looks like your hand is up. Let's go to you. Hi guys. Thanks Adam for everything you're sharing with us. I have two questions actually. I'm working with two podcasts. So I have a question for any of them. The first one, with Máquina de Ventas, we are working with a sponsor right now. But one of the objectives that the host with that podcast is to raise, raise up, or I don't know how to say it, but we are increase the, the amount of money that we are, they are giving to us. Yeah. So it's clear, I think it's clear that we have to, it's, it's affiliate marketing, but we have to give them more customers. That's clear. But you were talking about adding more value. So uh, I will. I would like to know what what should I be what should I be doing about in that case to add more value to the brand. So they say, okay, or you are not getting the customers that we want, but it's clear that you're wanting to to have to help us, right? Yeah, really good question. One of my favorite questions or one of my favorite moments in podcast advertising is when I come to a podcast and say, I'd love to raise the rate on your podcast because you're overperforming for us and let's pay you more because you're doing a great job. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, I get really excited because I love seeing podcasters get paid. I was a podcaster. For me, that's a really encouraging moment. And the way that you're approaching that and asking the question, like, how do I deliver more value to the brand so that I can get paid more is the right way to ask that question. I think... More often, what I've seen from a lot of podcasters is they just want to raise the rates without delivering more value or generating more results. So there's a few ways. There's a couple ways that I look at performance from an advertising perspective. You as a podcaster are responsible for two things. You have two variables in your show that you can control in terms of performance. One is the quality of your ads. 
and their ability to send people to a website. The brand, they are responsible for converting those people on their website. So once you get them to the website, the brand might have a great landing page, a great product, all these things. That's more their responsibility. You don't have a lot of control on that. So you have to let that part go. And you can push back on brands and say, ah, maybe your landing page isn't set up, so and so on. But you do control how well you are at or how good you are at sending people to their website. Secondly, the other piece you do control, less so on a variable level, but the content of your show and the type of audience you've cultivated has innate value. Some audiences are just going to convert better than other audiences. And what I mean by that is if you are a YouTuber, you would understand this really well. Uh, On YouTube, if you've monetized a YouTube channel and brands are buying ad placements through Google Ad Studio on your show, you'll notice that you get a particular CPM or a kickback for having these ads run on your YouTube channel. And certain YouTube channels get paid a lot more than other YouTube channels. For example, if you're a finance YouTuber, you'll get really high CPMs, like $20, $30, sometimes even more CPMs on YouTube. And if you're, say, like a lifestyle vlogger or in college, you will probably get a lot lower CPMs. And that has to do with the brands doing a bidding on your show on the back end in Google Ad Studio. And if there's a lot of bidding because your audience is really valuable, that price will go up. And if there isn't a lot of bidding, that price will go down to the point in which it works. In the same way, you have the ability to control your audience to a degree by the type of content you generate. If your content is a good content like a finance YouTube channel or a finance podcast or something like that, your your audience probably has a little bit more money. They might be willing to buy more. They might convert at a higher rate when they get to that website. So it's innately a slightly more valuable audience when it comes to purchasing behavior. So that's a factor controlled by the type of show you have, but you can't really just change your show. <laughs> if your show is about coffee and you're like, I want to get paid more, so I'm going to just become a finance show. That doesn't really work that way. But the type of content you are creating will have a factor on the quality of the audience. But your ad quality and your ability to be a better salesperson in converting people, that you do have full control on. And the quality of ads, how well you know the product, dive deep into it. One of the things that I've noticed that kills me from a lot of podcasters is how little they care about the brands that we give them and how little they know about the products they're talking about sometimes. We'll ship out products to our podcasters all the time. And they're like, yeah, we're really excited to work this brand. And then they just kind of give a half-hearted read because they don't really know enough about the brand. They haven't done their due diligence. They haven't looked into it. They haven't played with it enough. They haven't worked with it enough to know how to talk about it and how it fits into their life. If you do that extra mile where you get to know the brand, get to know the product, ask questions, your ad reads will just be better and they will convert better. And not enough people do that. And to finish that answer then, if you can improve the quality of your ads and improve the amount of conversions that are coming through, you'll be able to command higher rates. Because if you're doing a great job and you say, hey, we're raising our rates from $200 to $400. And the brand says, okay, that means you probably were doing a really good job for them. And if they say we can't do that and it's not going to work and they say they're not going to renew, it probably means that maybe you're not ready to raise the rates and you need to work on improving. So it's, it is a supply and demand industry for the most part. If you're doing a great job, you can keep raising the rates. And until people start stop buying, then maybe bring it back down and you might have to come down a bit. Hey, Adam, do you have any recommendations for someone that's just starting to dip their toe into it of like resources or where to go for good advice or like where to even start looking for brands that are even interested or anything like that? Okay, so my favorite is if you are an active user of a niche product, like something that isn't, I don't know, don't go for big brands. Don't go for big like Procter and Gamble products. But if there's a cool little product that you picked up somewhere that you really like that you think your audience would also probably really look at that first. So for me, it was that coffee brand or Aeropress was another one that I worked with for a bit. There's like a coffee plunger, basically. And it's like a fast way to make really high quality coffee. It's like espresso on the go. Find one of those products that you actively use that would be a good fit for your audience and for the content and reach out to those brands first because it's going to make that transition way smoother and probably more effective. So I would just reach out to those brands and practice your pitch. And you want to know a secret that will get you through the door a lot faster is if you already organically talked about it on your podcast, clip that and send it to the brand and say, Hey, look, we were talking about your brand just the other week on the podcast. Have you guys ever advertised on podcasts? Have you thought about doing that? I... 
a bunch of the people in my audience mentioned that they really liked hearing about your brand. And I'd love to bring you guys on as a sponsor. Get into the sales mindset there, pull them in, show them that you care, etc. It'll go a lot better. And that's one way. The next step though, Matt, I would say after that is once you've started to build that report card, then you can use that as a data source to take to bigger brands. For example, the reason that I was able to get Manscaped to put an offer on my show was I showed them, hey, look at what I was able to do for Onyx Coffee Lab and grow their business. I think I might be able to do the same for this brand or this brand. You start to build the case study. You can take that to the brands and now you know what you're worth. You know what you can drive. I could have charged Manscaped 500 bucks a month or whatever for sponsorship and they would have said, sure. Is there a, along with that, like when, say you find that product that's it, sitting around, whatever, and who would you reach out to at a company like that? Is there a particular position that people should be looking for? Usually it's going to be under the marketing branch. So if, so when I worked at Fume, this was the startup that I worked at prior to working at Adopter Media, I was, my first title was the public relations manager and I oversaw all of the influencer marketing stuff. So all of the offline media channels. So I was the guy sliding into people's DMs saying, Hey, we'd love to send you some product. That would be a great person to reach out to at a brand, someone who's a marketing manager in some capacity or has public relations or influencer marketing manager in their title or something like that. That'd be probably the ideal person. If you can't find that person, maybe the CMO or the VP of marketing, and they will redirect you to the right person. I don't recommend going to the CEO unless you have a a connection. The CEO probably just does not have the time to think about your podcast. They are probably worried about cash flow and finances and a million other things. Try to get to the marketing department. They usually will give you a little bit more time a day. Cool. Rena, I think you actually had your hand up this time. So... Yeah, I'm sitting here watching videos with my four-year-old. So if you hear that in the background, I was just going to say... I echo the opinion where he was talking about making little like social media posts and then tagging the brands that you like. They might not start off like giving you money, but they will give you products. Mm -hmm. Like I've done that with a couple different kosher brands that I really liked that I put like the snacks in my kids' lunches. (laughs) I had my dad eat them. I had my mom eat them. I had my kids eat them and I tagged them and that worked to get their attention. And then they were sending me boxes of the treats. So for me, that was worth the social media swapping and the collaboration because we actually liked the treats. Yeah. And there's no shame in doing a deal that is just for product, especially if you love the product. Like for me, I would have worked for Onyx for free if they just sent me coffee every month. And the fact that I got paid on top of it was a bonus. And so if you have a brand that you like love like that, and it is just for free product at first, like that's a great way to still get in the door and practice probably don't live in that camp for too long because you want to get paid for the work that you do for sure. But it can be a way to get your foot in the door. And a lot of brands, like especially scrappy startups, love shipping out product for free. I tell you this from experience, almost every brand that I have that I work with is more than happy, especially if it's a podcast that makes sense for us to work with. They talk about, they ship out like a hundred. We work with the shaving company. They ship out probably 200 razors for free every month to different influencers, just so that they're seeding product out there that people can try. So a lot of these brands, if you just start doing some social mentions, say, Hey, I did some stuff on a pod on my podcast, talking about your brand. We love your stuff. If you ever thought about podcast stuff, I'd love to, to be able to promote your brand and they might just send you product. And that's a good way in the door. I want to say one more thing about that. It actually led to other paid sponsors because when you have a sponsor, other sponsors don't know whether they're paying or not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that that uh, to echo that, Rena, is you can use that to your advantage. Like on the resume thing, the same thing with affiliates. It's like they don't know that's an affiliate deal. They just know that you've had that brand on your podcast for X number of months. In the same way that if you keep talking about that brand, they don't know that it's just free product. But other brands might see that as, wow, that brand's been giving this person money every month. We should probably give them money every month to do posts and it will work for our brand. So yes, that's a really effective strategy. The Dead Man Walking podcast. I think you had a question. Oh, you're muted. Sorry. I have a multifaceted podcast. So I've got like four main things that I talk about because I talk about people who have overcome adversity because that's what happened to me. I just published a book. So I talk to authors. I talk small business and finance because I was a business prof. And I talk health and mental health because that's also part of my story. Does that make me less attractive to a potential sponsor? 
Kind of. It makes it harder for certain types of products. For mm-hmm. example, it it's a lot easier for me as a buyer to look at genres or types of podcasts in particular boxes. So for a show that is really multifaceted. Now, the, I'll say this, whether or not you like the person or not, like not you can't probably be Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan kind of talks about everything and he gets away with it because he is Joe Rogan and he has tens of millions of people listening to his podcast. It's hard to to do the every man's podcast where it feeds into everything. I really recommend generally, especially as you're trying to get into the early stages of growth of a podcast and getting those first sponsors is when you have one niche that you really focus on. It also makes it more mm-hmm. attractive to a show. For example, if you were only interviewing authors, if I was a book oriented brand or a readers oriented brand that really prioritizes targeting people who read, your podcast is now that much more desirable. But if you only sometimes talk about books and then also talk about mental health and you also talk about this, then maybe it's not a perfect content fit. So it's a little harder for me to get through the door. But for my agency that I work with, a lot of our brands are looking for more generalist podcasts, but typically those are podcasts that are now at pretty big scale. They're doing either 10,000 downloads or more per episode, and you can start to get away with it there. But I think the early secrets to growth is find that niche and get through it. So for me, Kendama, to give you the anecdote of what I was thinking about doing for growth after before I shut down the podcast was I focused completely on Kendama and only Kendama stuff. But as I grew, I noticed that I was starting to get attention from the juggling communities and from yo-yo and stuff. And so those were good adjacent communities that I was able to start to step into and get a bit of a reach into. And I wanted to make those subtle jumps into those communities. And that was new room for growth. And I think you always want to find those concentric circles of growth where you have your main source of content that you begin to pillar off of and bridge into new communities through that content. You don't want to make a jump from where a Reddit article breakdown podcast. And we also do true crime every now and then. Those are like way too different. Find two things. And if you're going to do more than one thing, make sure that they're really closely related. Mm-hmm. What are the most in-demand podcasts right now? For ad buying, right now, legal content is pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Legal and news and politics. I don't know what it is about legal oriented podcasts, but they tend to do reasonably well for advertisers in general. I don't know if it's people just trust lawyers and they buy their recommendations, but for some reason that content tends to work pretty good. True crime is a little oversaturated, but some true crime really does well. Health and fitness and the niche within health and fitness that is called biohacking, if you're familiar with that terminology. Absolutely. Yeah. Biohacking as an industry has in at times been like really fruitful for a lot of brands, but it's only for particular brands. Like we're talking like Four Sigmatic or a ring and like a lot of these products that are really niche to those communities tend to do well within those podcasts. There's a lot of influencer. I could go on all day about what shows and what kind of genres, but that would be a whole nother hour. Thanks. Adam, we we only got you for one. And I want to get you out of here a few minutes early. But before we that, is there a place that, that someone can go to follow up with you or stay connected? Or where can they get more of Adam? Yeah, probably the place that I'm the most active is on LinkedIn. Please send me a follow request on there. Connect with me. I do not bite, I promise, most of the time, unless you take advantage of me on our podcast advice or something like that. But I, I really do love working with indie podcasters, podcast networks. I like just connecting with the community. I I try to post pretty regularly on there of my unadulterated, unfiltered thoughts on everything in the podcast space, probably to a lot of people's dismay at times where I just speak very candidly about what I think about the podcast industry, all it's good and all it's bad. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I I love connecting. So that's probably the best place. I have a Twitter, but I like rarely use it. So LinkedIn's the best. I'll throw Adam's LinkedIn here in the chat. And I just want to Mention again, there's a, a this will get up on podcasting success secrets. There's a, another episode of probably a couple months back that where Adam goes into a lot of this stuff and dials in on, on talks a little bit more about this as well that I would recommend listening to. And um, Adam, I just I can't I can't echo enough your um, what you're doing for the community and mostly your perspective because there are other podcast advertising quote unquote experts or gurus or people who do that, but they are. They are not as relatable or approachable, or some of them, they don't have the experience or the perspective of a podcast that you bring. And so that's why I'm always excited to to share your insights and your knowledge, because I I think it's needed for our industry. I appreciate that. I think it comes back. I didn't come into it with from education. I just figured it out as we went along. And a lot of it was accidental. So for me, when I came into this space, and this is where the heart really comes from, I didn't know how to buy podcast ads when I started in the industry. There was no content out there. There was no one teaching me how to do it. So I just 
started spending money and losing money and then started spending money and it started to work. And I just started documenting the journey and I wrote medium articles and I wrote on LinkedIn and I wanted to give back to an industry that I loved by sharing my experiences in it and then hopefully make it easier for other people and other brands to take advantage of this beautiful space with all these beautiful creators and and grow their businesses through podcast advertising. And so ultimately that's where it comes from. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. And those of you guys who asked questions and participated and brought brought some great discussion. We do these every two weeks, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern next week or in two weeks, which I believe is the 11th. No, the second week of May, we're going to be having another virtual mixer. And those are less structured. Those are more just come hang out. That's a May 10th. Just come hang out, connect with other other podcasters, and we'll do small groups and breakouts and discussions. And so it's just a, another great opportunity to learn, connect, and feel better as well. So, um, Adam, I'm going to get you out of here a couple minutes early, my man. I appreciate you. We'll get that coffee date soon. And the rest of you guys, if you guys want to stick around, ask questions, hang out, whatever it is, we'll keep the room open for a little bit as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hector. Thanks, Matt. And thank you, all of you guys, for showing up. Again, please connect with me, and I'd love to chat with you guys again. Bye. Yeah, see you, dude just jam-packed such good stuff any thoughts feedback reflections complaints all of it any of it i thought this was really helpful that's great anything specific anything else that that you guys thought stood out we do these matt and i we're we're trying to see what would somebody benefit from and this was something that we thought people might have an interest of but if you guys have ideas or suggestions or guests, things like that, feel free to reach out to myself and Matt and let us know because we are always looking for, you know, what, what do people actually need? And I think that's... Mm-hmm. I think the cool thing about Adam's story is it a lot of his story sounded like he leaned into the things that felt right in the right zone. And I think that's something that that I can say as an indie podcaster myself, I'm like, what do I do? I want someone else to tell me what to do, but maybe we need to lean into kind of the direction that our podcast is taking us as well as this opportunity presents itself. If it feels right, maybe we should try it. And it sounds like that's how Adam's story really unfolded. So I think that's my bigger takeaway from that is just stop looking for the right answer, but rather let that journey unfold for you. Mm